Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Before we get started, a quick word about our sponsor, Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service helping agents get more transactions from contract to close. Spend less time doing the paperwork and more time on your business. Learn more at OfferToClose.com. If you're listening to the show, then you know tech is changing all industries and fast. The rental property industry is not immune to this at all. And thanks to our sponsor, XBased, for helping us shine a light on all the services and companies out there changing the real estate landscape. Go ahead and learn more at xspaced.com. That's X-S-P-A-C-E-D.com, Xspaced, the future of rentals for landlords and tenants. All right, we've got a really cool guest on the show today. This is another topical episode, and it's called Let's Talk Title for a Reason. That's what we're going to be talking about. What is title? Title insurance. And is it the same title in escrow everywhere? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got Ryan Orr. He's a VP with Tycor Title based in California. He's been in this game for quite a long time. He came in during a recession, has survived the Great Recession, and is now thriving at the top of his business. So I think you'll walk away with a handful of things on this. You're going to know what title is a little bit better if you don't already. But also you're going to hear how he's running his business and some of the potential disruptors coming into the space. Listen in. Well, hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking aside the time. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk through what we're going to talk about today because I think that you have a lot to share about uh, a topic that I think some people get but maybe don't fully get. So we, before I give away the details, um, how about you go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. All right. Well, my name is Ryan Orr. I work for Tycor Title, which is an FNF brand, uh, Fidelity National Financial, and I work in the Southern California marketplace, uh, specifically uh, centered out of Rancho Cucamonga, California. I've been doing this business since uh, 2003 and um, done everything from just the regular sales executive to managing uh, both San Bernardino and Riverside counties as the sales manager as well as a producer. Um, since pulling back from that, that position, uh, each and every year we've been able to get to the top 5% in the nation for all Fidelity brands, which is kind of cool. Uh, and typically each year we will have a uh, rally someplace across the country where all the top players uh, from the company are able to get together. And uh, it's been a very elite club and a very uh, humbling uh, opportunity to continue to grow with what we do in the title space. I'm not the least bit surprised that um, you're in that level of of, uh, of performance because based on our previous conversations, in full disclosure out there, Ryan and I have done some work together in the past, um, but that did not influence the show. I wanted someone who was an expert on title, and mm-hmm. you know, my conversations with you is you're you're a forward and progressive thinker. You're not just you. I know you don't just sit back and let things come to you in the way that you run your business. You're really up and at it um, and even thinking, how do you leverage new tech? How do you leverage new marketing tactics? Uh, being proactive in your sales. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, let's, I, I want to go this way to start here. First, how do you, what is the journey that leads to where you are right now? I mean, th- were you in high school thinking, you know what I want to be? I, I want to work in title. That's what I'm going to do one day. You know, I, it, it's, I mean, I don't know, unless you're like raised in this business, to be honest, uh, I don't think you just know or whichever about title. I got into this industry literally by happen circumstance and, you know, 9-11 changed many people in a lot of ways. You may or may not realize, but that's part of the reason as to how I got into this business. I started a nonprofit. I put myself through the police academy to become a reserve police officer, uh, which I still am today. I've been serving for over 10 years. Um, How did I not know that yet? <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? So, you know, when we're not doing this deal, we go to the, the, to the local police department, which uh, I'm employed, and we do our best to help out. But hmm. no, I mean, it's one of those things where the industry that I was in was impacted uh, dramatically, and we lost probably about 20% of our revenues at the time, and mm-hmm. I wasn't making a tremendous amount of money. 
um, I literally happened to be on my way to a career fair and I was, had been refinancing my house. And the escrow officer that uh, was signing our paperwork was, was asking questions about being out of the, uh, out of the office on a Wednesday in a suit and what was I doing? And, and um, I told her I was on my way to a career fair. And uh, so she said that they, they just lost most of their sales force to a new company that had opened uh, nearby and that they needed sales executives. And so I said, but I don't even know the spell title. Now, granted, I'm teasing. I mean, I, I did get a you know, bachelor's uh, degree from the University of Laverne in international business and German. Uh, however, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I'd never even thought about it. So I had a couple of interviews with the team there and the management team and uh, got signed on and, and I never really looked back. I think it was one of those things where when you can put together some ideas and you, you can work hard, you, you really start to realize that it's not about um, what somebody else tells you you're worth. It's as hard as you want to work or as smart as you want to work. You can make as much or as little money as you want to. Um, I also love the fact that it gave me the opportunity to work in my community and to try and make an impact. It allowed me the opportunities to go through the police academy, what they call the extended version, mm -hmm. uh, after hours during work. And, and uh, it's... You know, aside from some, some rough times in 2007 and eight when the market kind of crashed, um, even we found our way through the downturn and kind of like a phoenix from the ashes was able to, to, to reignite and realize that, you know what, we just got to put our head to work. And no matter what this real estate industry throws at us, whether times are good or bad, people are still going to buy and sell real estate. So that's the short and long, I guess, uh, version of it is I fell into this industry by chance and I've never looked back. Um, at each place I've been to, I've done extremely well, um, except for, you know, when everybody was really hurting, you know, I think uh, August of 2007, August, July to August, I think we lost about 40% of our income and then went down to about 20% um, over about six months period of time, what we were making. So wow. trying to find a way to hang on and do what was going on and, and see it through. Um, that those were, those were some tough times, but we had to see forward. We had to see that it was bigger than this and it was bigger than that. We, we could find ways to, to claw out. Yeah. 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 And I, I think obviously any business that could, you know, make it through the, the downturn that we had, obviously there's a, maybe a little bit of a special sauce of something happening there. It might just be grit, but <laughs> there's, there's definitely you know, it, it something. Was wild because, you know, I looked at it and I really kind of humbled myself because it was one of those things that even though I was making 20% or 30% of what I had been previously making, mm -hmm. um, by most people's standards, or even if I looked at my first job out of college, uh, I was still making equal or greater than, than that. And this was the worst, in, worst time in history in our industry and yeah. probably one of the worst in our country's history. And I just knew that if I could see my way through this, that um, there was some huge upside on the other side because most people probably were not going to be able to hang on. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I remember very vividly. I, I tell people all the time, the, the best education I got was working for a home builder from 2006 to 2008. You know, I learned what cash flow was. And I, I was like, what do you mean or cash flow? Or wasn't a profitability. <laughs> it was so confusing to hear. We yeah. don't have any cash, but we're profitable. I'm like, I don't understand, but uh, I do now. So, well, let, let's, let's go into this then here. So uh, you, you, you've been working at Title for some time now, but for some of us who may not know all that a Title company does, okay. uh, first, what are the primary services uh, a Title company offers? And then as a follow-up to that, why do we need Title companies? Okay, great question. I think the first start of it is to say, well, what is Title insurance? Because I don't think most people even understand the product itself. Yeah. Um, you know, many people might think of a life insurance or a homeowner's insurance or uh, health insurance. And those are, those are insurances that you pay every single month. Um, the thing about title insurance is you pay it one time. You pay it at the, at the close of a real estate transaction. And our role in the whole game is to do as much research as to anything that could affect the ownership of that home mm -hmm. so that when it transfers from one person to the next, that these people are assured that all things have been cleared up before closing, uh, you know, and if and when we make mistakes, um, that's when we have to step up, take care of whatever that issue is and honor it. Hmm. You see, without it, it's one of those things where you wouldn't fully know. 
I mean, think about some of these small countries, maybe some of the tropical countries that people travel or vacation to, and they're like, hey, buy my land, buy my land, buy my house. And you're basically just writing them a check with no assurance that that's even theirs. You mm -hmm. see, our mm -hmm. product of title insurance makes lending possible as well. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, most people think of banks as where they have their ATM card, they write their checks, they think, um, you know, they have accounts and so forth at them, but they don't think of banks as investors. So realistically, the definition of an investor is when somebody gives you money with an expectation of a rate of return. And isn't that what a mortgage is? And I think people lose sight of what that is. Now, with, with that kind of investor, they want to make sure that their investment is secured. Mm -hmm. So title insurance, by guaranteeing to that bank as to that their loan is in the right position, which is another question, I guess, uh, that their loan is in the right position, that they can recapture their investment should the homeowner default on their payments. And so there's really two parts or two roles that, uh, that come into play when it comes to title insurance. There's owner's coverage and there's lender's coverage. So the uh, seller in California, for example, typically pays for the owner's policy for the new owner coming in, and the buyer will typically pay for the lender's policy, which covers the lender's position, um, be it first, second, third, whichever uh, loan, third, that's weird, right? We haven't said that since 2004, when they would pay back <laughs> loans and so forth. Um, but anyways, um, yes, it, the, the, the lender wants to make sure that they are in absolutely the right position because first, Position gets the money first, second gets it second. If there's anything left, and third, well, again, if there's money left at the end of the day, they'll get their money, but otherwise they wouldn't. Hmm. And you might be saying, for example, well, what, what are some things that could affect the ownership? Well, it could be mechanics liens, it could be judgments, it could be franchise tax board, it could be uh, encroachments, easements, uh, to name a few. Um, there are so many things that come into play when, with a property that the research has to be done and assured or insured in this case uh, for the new people coming in that without what we do, um, lenders would struggle a bit more to issue uh, their loans uh, for people to be able to buy real estate as a whole. You'd see a lot more cash market. And here's another thing that comes up from time to time, which is, is title insurance required by law? And it's wild because I'll ask a room of real estate professionals and it's about 50-50 people saying yes and no. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Well, why isn't it if it isn't? Or why is it if it is? I'm going to guess it is because I've honestly never, I've never considered that. I've yeah. actually never thought about that question. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes, but please tell me I'm wrong. So I, You're wrong. Question. You're wrong, Bueller. Uh, yes, no. Um, title insurance is not required by law. However, a big asterisk next to it is that um, without title insurance, no institutionalized lender is going to issue you a loan, right? So if you're getting any kind of loan, are you going to be able to do that? Well, no, you're, right. you're not going to. Um, and the next question is going to be, if the lenders don't feel comfortable issuing you money on it, if you had your hard-earned money, would you want to do it? I mean, these lenders are wrote that some might think they're stupid at times, but um, they're not that stupid when it comes down to it they want to make sure that all of these things are taken care of so they're not putting themselves in any undue risk. The, the other part to think about it is that anybody in the future, less, anybody in the future that wants to do a transaction on that property um, is going to have to go back to the last insured transaction. So they're going to have to backtrack and get whatever information all the way to that last transaction yep. uh, in order to do that as well. So it really kind of creates a lot of headaches and a lot of legwork and potentially attorneys and, and courts getting involved yeah. at that point, depending upon how much time has passed. You know, I, I read uh, what would probably be an extreme case of what happens when that sort of system doesn't exist. And it had to do with Mark Zuckerberg and some of the, the property he bought in Hawaii. Oh gosh. Um, Some of the, the tribal lands or something maybe? Well, there was, there was, there was so many, you know, generations of fractional ownership that was passed down yeah. to family ownership, but there was no record of. And so with no record of, you know, when the searches are performed of, Hey, who owns this? Where are all the transactions that have ever occurred? Yeah. And there's no record of those transactions. Then for someone to take, they Who's claim, to take? Hey, you took, you know, I'm rightfully, owner of 50 by 50 feet right over here yeah. under this tree. Exactly. And 
you, you have nothing to claim to. So I see what you're saying. It, 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 this is a foundational support mechanism that enables everybody yeah. to be able to buy because we all, we, we all require leverage in order to buy except for the 1% and all the Dave Ramsey uh, right. people who have made it and buy But even still, those people that would buy with cash would still want the assurance that when they bought it that they didn't buy somebody else's debt. That's I mean, true. If yeah. these things aren't rectified, if they're not taken care of at the time of close, those those specific items will stay with that property until yeah. until rectified. Um, one of the things where we ran into out here in California a lot, and I'm a huge not a not a fan of this thing called the Hero Program, which the county in which I live in San Bernardino County has pretty much pushed them out. They can no longer do it. You know, all these people with this green initiatives and trying to. Um, you know, make everything energy efficient. They tried to give homeowners a credit card through their tax bill. And because it was coming through the tax bill, they thought it was a government-sponsored program. Well, it wasn't a government-sponsored program. It just allowed them to finance it through their tax bill each year. And what we found was that this was being used for solar, for these crazy like like, uh, insulation paints and windows and HVAC systems. But people uh-huh. were being charged 30 and 40% more than retail cost. Oh and then they had an absorbent interest rate attached to it. It was all front-loaded on interest. And if you prepaid it, there were huge penalties. So people were being taken advantage of left and right because we had all these people knocking on doors uh, uh-huh. saying, hey, listen, you can replace your HVAC system. It led to a slew of problems after the fact. You wanted to go sell your house. Uh, people were saying, well, hey, I'll just sell my house at full price and I'll transfer that hero to you. Well, I always tease and say that's like selling you the Corvette for $72,000 and having a $200 payment for the next 10 years for the engine. Like, why would you pay for the Corvette at full price and have a $200 payment for the engine? Like, isn't there an expectation that when you buy a full price Corvette, you're going to have an engine included? That is, so, a, that is a true definition of a green industry, huh? Yeah, somebody's making green, you know? <laughs> Either that or they're smoking it. I don't know what's going on with people. I think we've lost our minds. <laughs> well, so, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that, that I think is one of those outside scenarios. I mean, I've never run into that when I was selling in Washington. Um, I don't know of anyone else who's running that. This past weekend, I heard a horror story of someone who had sold their house and it never got recorded. Uh, and then they got the back taxes <laughs> in the mail, which Ooh. I thought that was an amazing thing. I don't know how that's possible, but um, you know, for most people, though, you know, in, in the scenarios we're describing, we're, we're talking residential. Right. Here. You know, residential real estate is where most people are going to first come in contact or, or hear the, the terms title and escrow. Right. That's, right. What they're, that's yeah. when they're first going to hear that. So what I'm curious then, you know, because obviously, even if I was using my own cash. Yeah. There's a cost to your service. So what are the costs involved? And I know this, there would be some variations with a, with a residential transaction. Give it an idea of what that costs. Well, it's hard to give a, a specific, if we're talking nationally, I can tell you for California specific, um, different states have different rules and they're, yeah, the way that our industry works is we are regulated by the Department of Insurance. Mm-hmm. And so when we're regulated, we have to file our fees uh, with them and it's based on what we call the liability amounts right? Mm-hmm. And the liability amounts are going to be your sales price and your loan amount or loan amounts if there's more than one loan. Um, and so that's how we have a sliding scale. Uh, with an average sales price in California, call it $450,000, $500,000. We're talking about uh, about $1,300, $1,400 for the seller on the owner's policy and maybe four or $500 on the, uh, the lender's policy for the buyer. Okay. So, uh, so escrow I mean- fee... It's not breaking the bank. I mean, you're, you're talking in relative to the cost of the house. I mean, it's, Correct. it's a no-brainer, obviously. So, in, you know, in California, different places across the country, like in Southern California, it works different than Northern. And, and I'm not sure in Seattle, I think your title and escrow companies are typically all together as one organization. Yeah. Southern California, we're different for some reason. Uh, in addition to um, title companies, you have a lot of independent escrow companies, and that's where a lot of the brokers have been able to um, put their revenue streams together is they have their own in-house escrows. So we'll mm-hmm. be the title only. Um, they'll have their own, the, the, the broker or the companies, a lot of times will own their own escrow companies and run the escrow companies through their, their, their own people. I see, I see. So when times get a little slower, you still have a, an additional uh, revenue stream coming in there. 
will get a little slower or even as they see the disruptors coming into the marketplace, they're trying to find ways of being able to compete with the, the brokerages that are not taking as much of the commission. So they're willing to take a little bit more of a haircut on the split with the agents to be able uh -huh. to retain their escrow business. Let, let's approach that just for a minute here. So uh, there's a lot of talk about what is uh, commonly referred to as discount brokerages. Now, I like to personally joke about, well, if they're discount brokerages, there must be a set price. And what I understood is between all firms is that we don't set prices together because there's a certain word on that one. So um, what, what is your take on some of those firms though that are coming in, uh, they're changing up the model entirely. We got flat rates, yeah. we got one and two percenters or they'll, they'll charge the full 3% but then do a rebate back. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that and do, do you see that as a positive for real estate and the consumer? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I get kind of twisted because what I find is that um, I think in any industry that we found, when people go low cost leader, um, it's normally because they're not bringing as much value to uh, the transaction and to what, what in, I don't care what your industry, I don't care if you're selling tires, I don't care if you're selling widgets or whichever it's going to be. Um, there's times to be the low rate, low cost leader to, or the loss leader, I think is what Enterprise Rent-A-Car called it when I worked there. Yep. So you did the 999 to get him in the door and do the deal and maybe they upgraded and we got the car on the road. Yep. Uh, but typically when you're, when you're going low, it's not because you're bringing value to the table. Um, and I think as an industry, uh, we've kind of devalued what we do. Um, because we haven't shown, we've shown how easy it is to do it. We've shown people in the industry with all the fancy stuff and that they're making too much money on certain things. And I personally believe that if you work your tail off, then you deserve to make good money uh, mm. personally. Um, but I think we've, we've done a poor job as an industry as a whole at showing the value that we actually bring. Mm -hmm. um, and that when you're doing your continuing education and your, your, your corporate compliance classes and how you're protecting people and bringing the value to them, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's, it's worth the full fee. I really do. Um, yeah. I just wish more people would share and show and, and, and show up to the game as to what needs to be done in today's marketplace and all the expenses that are incurred as a result. So yeah. I, I'm not a big fan, obviously, as you can tell. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I was hoping you'd go off the rails a little bit here. We'd have a great sound bite. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm messing. I, no, I mean, it, it's wild because, the, you know, I had a friend recently that moved over to Purple Bricks, which is like a curse word to, to a ton of people. Um, and you know, I think to each his own and he's like, Ryan, why are you yelling at me? I don't quite get this. He's like, I was sending you two, three deals a month before. And now I'm going to be sending you 15 or 20. Like you should be happy about this. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm like, explain this to me. I don't understand the model. I don't understand. Like you don't make anything per deal. And as he kind of broke down his reasons and intentions and so forth, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I could see where he was at and where his head was at based upon the model that he was trying to run. Um, so it's like I kind of see both sides of it to a degree, uh, yeah. but, I, but I also know that um, there was help you sales and flat rates before the crash before yep. because yep. everybody thought that the industry, it was just too easy. Like all you had to do was put a sign in the yard and the sign was going to sell the house and they didn't need the agents. Yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden you found through the crash, the true professionals were the ones that were remaining uh, mm -hmm. for the most part and they had to work in order to do it. And so all yeah. of a sudden the consumer said, well, snap, we can't do this without the true professional that's committed to what they do. Um, and so there was the need. So as yeah. the market has continued to shift and shake, I, I think there'll always be some form of disruptor uh, in the business itself. Um, it, it might shift a little bit in its appearances as to how it comes through and, and technology continuing to evolve is going to be a big deal. But um, I know that for the agent or agents or teams, however you want to look at it, that invest in themselves and what they do and show the value that they bring to it, there'll always be the space for them. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to keep up with prospecting, developing new deals, inspections, open houses, just all the paperwork that comes with being a real estate agent. It's just overwhelming sometimes. That's why I'm excited that we've partnered up with Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service that I believe you've been waiting for. No lengthy contracts with them, no masses overhead, and you only pay when you close deals. Here's how it works. Offer to Close has transaction coordinators that are also licensed agents, so you can have full confidence in who's helping manage your transactions. 
Offer to Close helps manage your transactions from contract to close, helping you stay focused on your business rather than administrative work. I want you to go ahead, find out more at OfferToClose.com. That's OfferToClose.com, OfferToClose.com. That's a perfect segue into the following question because we're talking about value here and the value that companies uh, deliver. So uh, I'm going to give you a statement. I'm going to ask you true or false and then tell me why you say so. Quote, aren't all title companies the same? End quote. Well, the answer would be false. Um, Here's a couple things, starting with this. First and foremost, a client or consumer says, well, what's in it for me? I don't understand, like everybody does. First and foremost, not all companies are created the same. This was very evident throughout the crash. There was a ton of small companies that had come up throughout the ranks, essentially positioning themselves to be bought and acquired so that the owners could make a ton of money by some other company. Well, after the crash, you got to remember, when you get an owner's policy on a transaction, you're linked to that company for the life that you own that house. If you get a refinance somewhere down the road, that refinance policy doesn't cover you as the homeowner, it protects the lender's interests. So whatever company you're attached to from day one when you buy that house is what you have for the life of that. The question becomes and begs, do you as a consumer, are you attached to a company that's going to have staying power where if and when you need something that you can actually reach back out to them? Mm. Um, You know, the other parts in regards to, from the consumer standpoint, you definitely want to make sure you're with one of the larger brands that's going to have staying power, period. Uh, or an underwritten company of the larger brand because otherwise I I get really, really kind of sketchy on those items. When it Mm -hmm. comes down to the real estate professional, it's going to be a matter of service, follow through, and the people that you work with. Is the team looking out for yours and your client's best interests, and are they fighting throughout the transaction to get these things resolved? Um, And I can't say that that's the same for all. Uh, You know, there's been plenty of times, for example, when I've watched and witnessed what other title companies have done and they've just gone ahead and closed the deal. Uh, they went ahead and they just overlooked something and maybe, maybe the agent or, the, uh, or the, the loan officer was all excited at the time, but come back three and four years and they needed to do something and realize that, okay, they put a bandaid on it so that transaction can close, but their best interest was never looked out for. Mm-hmm. And that might sound like a subtle difference, but I can't even begin to explain as to how big of a difference that is. Mm. So, if from my position and my standpoint, it's more of, does your title person that you're connected to, do they help you grow your business? Do they help you be better? Do they challenge you? Do they bring and do they respond? Um, and those, again, subtle but huge differences. Hmm. No, I, I think that's great. I mean, obviously, uh, and, and that was one thing that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that one point or another when I first bought, I ever thought, man, I hope my title companies around in 10 years. I mean, I just, you know, and and my first experience was just total haphazard. You know, it was FISBO. I bought on my own. So both sides unrepresented and I'm asking the seller, so how do we do this? (laughs) And he's like, you write this check. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's, that's okay. Right. You get the title and they're like, well, we can't advise you. I was like, well, then who can I talk to? And they're like, (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, it's wild about that one, but um, that, no, that's good to think back, think through, you know, even, uh, I think that's something probably more as well. You know, this is what the consumers are going to their agents and saying, help, saying, Hey, help advise here. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of push that responsibility on agents to, they need to be able to demonstrate and talk to the consumer about these pieces. If they come up of, Hey, I'm going to help you through this process and it's going to be easy. Um, you see, we're starting to be under attack as well because there's a handful of title companies based out of Florida that have been attacking the entire country, mm-hmm. and they're they're mostly virtual kind of title companies trying to come on the scene and and be low cost leaders because they don't have any representation in any state but Florida, and everything is all remote, and they're doing these marketing campaigns, and their fees are uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars less than what our ours are. But they have no local representation, no local offices, and you might as well just call a call center somewhere across the across the, the globe, uh, looking for some response or some help. Um, and I think that at some point, uh, having that support, having the people to be able to respond to take care of, is kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, that 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 a little bit leads into the next one. So, ultimately, you know, it's the buyers and sellers 
of, of residential real estate are paying for Correct. the title insurance. But I'm curious from your perspective, who do you view as the customer? Yeah, right. Uh, well, the person that chooses the service is typically the listing agent, to be honest, uh, at least in California. Yep. And so our clients are typically the, the referring party. So our, our clients that refer the business to us don't even pay for the product, which is kind of wild. Yeah. It, it is a I funny model. Kind of you know, I talk with, when I talk with property management companies, I always like to ask them, who do they consider the customer? Because it's a very similar thing. You know, they're serving the landlord, but they're really dealing with the tenant, you know, and it's kind right. of an scenario like that, which obviously can make it challenging for you doing lead gen and yeah. really building up both sides of the business. Um, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast, one of the things that and reasons I started this is, you know, my passion for uh, both real estate and technology. And so we, we have to touch on this a little bit. Um, how would, I'm curious, and, and you talked about it a little bit, there's some, some digital brokerages or, or uh, title companies coming up, uh, yeah. attempting to, you know, just uh, basically set up shop in Florida and run nationwide. But <coughs> outside of those types of businesses, what other types of innovations uh, leveraging technology or happening in title right now that is driving that business into the, you know, the, the next generation, if you will. Well, that's going to be a several front kind of answer. I mean, because there's going to be stuff you see on the street um, in regards to being an agent or being someone connected to a title company that's right. referring to business in based upon the technologies that we're growing, sharing and building as to how the, the agents and the real estate professional will interact with the consumer uh, with tools like Tycor Agent One, um, and how quickly and easily they're able to put together uh, estimates and, and net sheets and sell to nets and, and payment type kind of stuff to yeah. um, leveraging predictive analytics even uh, when it comes down to identifying who's most likely to sell in the next 12 to 24 months mm. uh, and being able to take old school paper farming kind of stuff and leverage it to a web-based platform that allows us to uh, specifically Google-esque, Google, Google -esque, right? Target market specifically out to um, types of, of clientele. Uh, and so that's going to be more agent-facing and so forth. Those are, those are going to be a couple of those. Um, when it comes to the back-end side of the business, there are different technologies in, in indexing as to how we are pulling our data. Mm -hmm. So how quickly we can get our search and how, how cost efficient we can be on our search packets on the back end. So there is a tremendous amount of investment coming into centralizing data to be able to uh, quicker and easier search the properties themselves, as well as since I want to say, I think it was 2007-ish, uh, most companies started going paperless. So all yeah. of our files, it's kind of an ironic uh, statement though. I think it's all a bunch of lies. <clears throat> yes, we still use a tremendous amount of paper. We just scan it in and put it into hard drives at this point. So, you know, everyone's still got paper files for the most part coming into the documentation. You My still sales manager gave me so much crap. Uh, you know, I don't know if Jolene listens to the show here, but she would just be like, Nate, you've got to clean your desk. And and there was another yeah. agent who gave me, he gave me the, uh, the defense of a lifetime. He said, because uh, there's so much paper and I had MLS sheets yeah. and everything else. But he said, you know, if a, if, a, if a messy desk is the sign of a messy mind, then what is the sign of an empty desk? Hey. <laughs> yep. like, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's no. fine. I'll have a messy mind versus an empty mind here. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those ebbs and flows. How, how quickly can we pull data? How does it all link? How does it transfer over? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's also helped us underwrite. So as we start seeing and notating uh, different uh, challenges that can arise, we can kind of alert each other about what's going on in regards to a file, whereas we don't miss nearly as much as, as maybe we would have 10, 15 years ago. Mm, that's good. So That's good. And I, and I think that, you know, and, and I don't know if you've given this any thought, but obviously, you know, um, all around real estate right now, there's tremendous amounts of investments. I want to say I just read that that August posted about 1.2 billion in in venture capital investments into real estate tech. I mean, it was a phenomenal amount of growth. There was over 600 million in July and in June each yeah. uh, of VC deals in real estate. Um, so obviously, a ton of 
of uh, innovation happening. You know, I've been watching and I've seen some vertical integrations between some of the more forward-thinking real estate uh, firms and yeah. title companies. I actually saw, I'm trying to think who it was recently in California, but there was a pretty big merger. Um, <coughs> why do you think though now, you know, I mean, this is not the first time real estate has been on fire. You know, we had technology in 2006, seven and yeah. eight, before anything crashed. But why are we seeing the amount of money and tech being focused into real estate now? I just think that we're, we're poised. There's so much opportunity and so much business and so much revenue that passes through real estate. And there's so many specific niche markets around real estate. I mean, just look at the statement as to, uh, I forget what the statistic says, but it says when a house sells, it employs like 16 people, you yeah. know, from, from the person at Home Depot to the person at the furniture store to the craftsman building the stuff. Uh, and so since there's that much money around each home sale itself, Mm -hmm. You know, even the movers, the movers on the move in, the movers on the move out, uh, the painters, the the contractors, the handyman that coming in and so forth, the pool people, you know, there's just so many people involved in that transaction. It's almost too lucrative not to find ways of investing. Um, in regards to integration, both uh, vertical and horizontal, you're probably also speaking to F and F and probably most of the industry that's at least smart. Um, FNF continues to invest in tools and products uh, that can support our clientele to hopefully yeah. be first to market with some of the top tools that are out there to assist our clients in being successful. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, when we can help our people win, uh, that's when we win. When their business yeah. grows, our goal is to, because of things that we're able to bring and share and, and uh, maybe bring a VIP experience to, uh, that they can win in their business as well. Yeah. I mean, our corporate office acquired Real Geeks, um, or the parent company of Real Geeks, as well as the Commissions Inc., as well as, and you know, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. You mm -hmm. know, Real Geeks and, and Commissions Inc. are uh, lead gen kind of platforms uh, where they're trying to put together VIP experiences for uh, clients of our company and so forth, and specific designated support teams to do so. Uh, that's kind of a, a big deal. So. It's one of those things where I think we're trying to find ways of being smarter and to be a, a true strategic business partner um, with, with our clients to, to add that value that I think we started off talking about. Yeah, that's solid. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're coming towards the bottom end of the show here, but before we, we do that, um, I always like to give our guests an opportunity, you know, we're trying to pack big topics into very short amounts of time, you know, yeah. especially when we're talking about this and we, we could go a million and one different angles on this. Um, but I really want to make sure people leave the show with understanding what, what is title. And so with that being said, you know, is there any one thing that maybe we haven't covered yet or could have gone a little bit further? You feel that maybe we should touch up on or you, you, you want to bring up so that people really have a, a firm grasp as, as is what it, what it is you do and, and why it's needed. You know, um, obviously this is for, for listeners on it, but if you were to think of title this way, I think I try to describe it like this. Uh, imagine yourself if you were Italian and you were speaking with your hands, right? So you'd put your hands out in front of you and you'd kind of clap them together and you'd say that this represents today. This is today, the, the date of closing. And then you move your hand to the left, right? And when you move your hand to the left, this represents the past. When you move your right hand past the other towards the right, this represents the future. And the role of, ins of title insurance is to make sure that the past doesn't come forward and haunt you in the future. Hmm. And I kind of always tease and say that's the simplest way of, of, of defining title insurance as a whole. So hmm. our job, we're in the business of risk elimination. So our goal is to not, hopefully, not have any claims. So we do our job so well that we research everything that could impact the ownership of that property and uh, get it taken care of and resolved before the, the transaction closes. Yeah. I also like to, to kind of remind people that if you were to look at your local newspaper and look at the articles that were in that newspaper, um, did that newspaper create those articles or are they just reporting on them? So when we're doing our job, we deliver the vehicle in a preliminary title report. We're going to itemize anything that's going to affect the ownership of that property. And through the escrow process, we need to identify identify and resolve any of those issues that the lender or the people are not okay with transferring on the new ownership. And, and don't get mad at us from the title perspective that we identify these things. I mean, this would be based upon the seller's 
uh, yeah. challenges that maybe they had had. So these are kind of like big, big little things that come throughout in the transaction. Uh, also, uh, there's two ways that, that things can impact the title of a property. One is physically against that property itself. Um, you know, like mechanics liens and things of that nature, things that physically attach to the property address. The second yeah. way things can impact an ownership of a property is personally. So we always run the name and the social security numbers um, as well of the owners or anybody who's been in ownership of that property uh, since the last insured transaction, because there might be things that may not be directly attached to the property, but when we run your name and social, they do come up at that time. So I guess words of wisdom are, when you go to do a transaction, make sure that your preliminary title report is opened up early. Uh, two, make sure your real estate professional actually reads the, the, the preliminary title reports or ask for a copy yourself um, because some of these agents don't know how to read a prelim and are too embarrassed to ask their, their, their partner for help in reading those. That's why with, with my team, we read every prelim for our clients. We highlight the action items. We even send out a preliminary title report highlight before it comes out, send it over as action items saying, hey, these are the things you might need to look in. Did you know about the solar uh, program on the house? Did you know about uh, the, this, this federal tax lien for $82,000? Is this going to kill your deal? Is this really your person? Or maybe it's a family member. Maybe, maybe it's an error. So we can start working on these things early. Um, statements of information coming in really early. Uh, I, I think some people get scared of them because they're long and intrusive and it asks for your social and birthplace and, and marriages and, and places of residence or work. Uh, the more common the name, the more necessary it is to get that, that data in early because I like to think that my life is interesting enough. I don't want to wait till two days before closing to find out that there's something that's going to affect the closing of your deal in a bad way. And then realize that for most government liens, at least here in California, it takes seven to 10 business days to get those payoffs in, even if it's already been resolved and it's not going to cause a big hiccup. So mm. I think that's a big defining factor as well between companies is a proactive approach uh, to make sure that these things are resolved so that when you're going to close, you close as compared to, well, nobody called me, nobody asked me kind of approach. So it's, yeah. it's a big deal. And every transaction desk means the world. And so we want to make sure that we close them consistently and on time and uh, that we are doing our role. And that uh, they're, because I mean, realistically think of it. If these things come up last minute, it doesn't just impact us as a title company, it impacts our agents, it impacts our clients. Everybody. And so yeah. if all of a sudden it comes to the end of the transaction, you've worked your tail off and you've done a tremendous amount. And then there's a delay or something that we missed that should have been caught at the beginning. The agent looks silly. Right, that poor mortgage broker that worked six months to get their credit up to be able to where they could buy, and then the agent who shopped for three months to get them in a house, and the month of negotiations, and the two closing extensions, yep. and then they bought a TV and had to push it back even further, and to get down to closing. Yep, it can no, totally happen that way. It's it's you know one of those things. So you you just got to make sure the people you're working with are competent yeah. and that they get their stuff done. So. So good. Uh, that, that's so deep. And I appreciate you going to that extent. Um, okay. We're going to jump to it. This is the game I call for the future. Um, <laughs> for the future. For the future is a segment where I ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions oh. on the following four questions. Ryan, you're ready to play. I'm ready to play. <laughs> All right. Question number one. Uh, what does your business unit at Tycor title Okay. look like one year from now? Uh, I have two more players on the team uh, and the support roles in the back end. Uh, one will be a video editor uh, as well as a digital media manager. Um, so we'll have those folks coming through to continue the consistency and what we need to to keep up with these podcasts and so forth as well. Um, there was two parts to that question, right? What does it look like in one year from now? Just that, that was it. One more salesperson in the field working, uh, calling on specifically lenders themselves. Because hmm. uh, right now, I just uh, everything I have is focused on, on the real estate agents themselves. Got it. Question number two. This is the easiest one of them all. Okay. What does the housing market look like one year from now? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's not an easy question. <laughs> that one, it sounds like the simplest, but it's, it's not. You know, you and I were talking earlier, we had mentioned that uh, it's hard to give a specific answer in a specific part of the market just because there's so many variables going on. 
Uh, most of the speculations that we're looking at are saying 2019, 2020 of some kind of pullback or, or recession of sorts. Uh, and so there's a lot of things and indicators kind of pointing to that direction. Uh, however, my market in regards to what I do, I don't really anticipate, I'm not really looking for a pullback because I'm going to make the adjustments necessary in order to make sure that I have business coming in from different streams that will continue to cover me through uh, any kind of change up. Yeah. <laughs> so I've just gotten lean on my expenses and put the cash aside to make sure that even if I didn't make a dime, I could still pay my bills for six to 12 months. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to, to say the least. It's, <laughs> It's wild because there's been a shift in the market. There really has, but the economy overall is is doing quite strong. So it's they're kind of at a dissonance. Um, I, the, I, I I had the fortunate uh, you know pleasure of talking to a lot of people about this last week at Housing Wire's marketing summit, and I was saying, don't you find it fascinating? We work in an industry that's being described as hot as ever, and I know multiple people whose pipelines are dry. Yeah. We, we were just like, this is so interesting. You know, there's areas of finance that have dried up. Agents are having a tough time getting enough deals. Well, my personal opinion is that the, the part of our industry that's the most under attack right now is, is the lending side of our business. Mm -hmm. And the reason I believe that is because I believe there was three types of lenders. There was your, your solid purchase, regular, that's all they did was purchase business kind of guys. And they did refis when family and friends came back to them. Yep. There, there was the 50-50 guy that would do some purchase because he was a little bit weak there, but would would live really off of the refi. And then you had your just solid refi guy. That's all that they did. And I'm not trying to be sexist here. It'd be guy or girl. I know what you mean. Yep. So um, since the market on the regular rate and term refi is pretty much gone, um, you have all three of those segments just going after the purchase business as hard as they can. Yeah. And unfortunately in some areas you see people being desperate. So they're willing to compromise their values and their morals. Yeah. Uh, in order to go after it. So it's really putting the squeeze to the guys and gals that have been doing the business right. So yeah. th that, that's the hardest part. It's been challenging, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Question number three, when will the next big boom or bust happen in real estate? <laughs> boom or bust. I think it's funny how you say the bust part because uh, most people are betting more on the bust first, obviously, before the next boom. I. You know, that's, that's another interesting uh, conversation just because I feel like there's been so much government meddling in, in, our, in the markets that uh, there's not like a true tell uh, right now. You know, most people, if you start looking at the demographics of data and areas and where the millennials are at um, and some of the up-and-comers that need to buy or that would want to buy, that would lead you more towards on, on the, the boomer side of it or boom side. Boomer's probably not right because I'm going to reference another generation. Uh, you, you know, 2024 to 2028-ish, somewhere in there uh, on a next really big kind of uh, market mover based upon demographics and, and where people should be. Uh, but again, uh, heck, I don't think anybody anticipated the, the recovery or the upside of this being as long as it has. So yeah. I don't know that there's a great answer uh, I just know that for anybody listening that you got to make sure, man, I love the book, uh, Who Moved My Cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. One yeah. of my favorite books. It's like a required read almost yearly about him and Hans, Sniff and Scurry. And uh, you always got to be able to go out there and hunt for new cheese. And yeah. if you're not, I mean, the number one thing for me in this market today is that complacency kills. If you're not out there actively hunting, you will die, period. Yeah. Yeah. You're just expecting the business to come. If you're like, him and ha in the maze of Dr. Spencer Johnson's book, you're probably, your pipeline is probably empty because it's taken a ton of extra hours and effort in order to make sure that, that business continues to come in the door. Cause it's there. It's just, you got to hunt and find it. This is not yeah. 2004 by any means. Yep. All right. Question number four, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? Away. You mean like with personal representation of it? You know, uh, everyone has taken this question from a, of a different lens and I'll let you roll with it however you like. <laughs> well, heck, I think the thing that, you know, kind of spun me back to you is when people say, hey, title's going to disappear because of BitChain Bit or blockchain. Well, and The, block, and, and, I think it, the quote was, uh, title companies, we will no longer need title companies uh, because blockchain on a public ledger will replace the need for that. Something along those lines. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, that's what people thought that they would need underwriters and so forth, but with uh, DU, right? But yet there's still a, a tremendous amount of human element that comes into decisioning. So I don't see title going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I do know that we do use blockchain kind of technologies in order to, uh, you know, encrypt data and how we share and how we search those items. Mm -hmm. um, there are reports and so forth within the industry, uh, such as some of the natural hazards and some of the others, but even still, I'm not seeing a tremendous amount of uh, people other than the salespeople to come out and do it. And you still need the salespeople to sell the product. So yeah. I, I feel like real estate, there's so much liability and so much risk. And each state is so unique in regards to the laws and regulations as to how it's done. Uh, there's a, man, I don't, I can't see. I mean, let's, let's go down the pipe. We got, we have escrow. No, you need the people. You need to be able to validate. You need to be able to, to be the disinterested third party. You need to put everybody together. I think what you'll start seeing more and more of is some of the support staff will start going away uh, because you're going to see the use of um, virtual assistance more and more for cost measures and so forth. So mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of the back end work like you see even with us in our industry uh, be and I'm going to use the word offshore, even though it's not necessarily offshore. It could be to a central processing unit yeah. uh, kind, of, kind, of, kind of concept uh, in order to uh, be able to keep things in perspective as it relates to cost. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, we, we do have a, a sponsor of the show for this season, OfferToClose.com, and they have licensed real estate agents who serve as transaction coordinators on the back end, you know, from contract to close, kind of like what you're saying, you know, I mean, you could take on the overhead of having someone in office uh, or yeah. you can go on a per transaction uh, pay as you go model. Essentially uh, you're not paying yeah. the overhead. You're not paying the insurances, all that they're employed somewhere else. So yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely going to be some more shifting towards that. Um, you know, especially if some people yeah. just want part-time work or they want to work from home, it gives them that opportunity. I think right. you're right. Well, we're gonna so I think that's that's gonna be the biggest shift. It's gotta be the biggest shift. I mean, mm. go back ten years and I didn't even think about the idea or the concept of it. And right now I have two virtual assistants that I work with uh in order to help. Um yeah. and I only get charged for the hours that they work and it works for them because they have kids and they want to be able to do their thing as well and pick them up from school and yep. um it's essential work that needs to be done daily, but it's not necessarily uh, hundred percent time sensitive. I don't need somebody sitting in the office and paying for benefits and everything else. So yeah. no, that's awesome. That'll probably be the biggest shift in my opinion. Got it. We're going to head into the last three here. The last three are questions more focused on you. So our listeners get to learn a little bit about more, more about you, Ryan. Uh, yeah. first one is what are you reading? And these could be, uh, books, blogs, or magazines. What do you read? Uh, you know, I, maybe I'm just the, the average regular person at this point. Uh, I still love my, uh, there's a book called Influence. That's number one. Robert Cialdini. Yes. Changed my uh, life. That Absolutely is, changed my life. Power of Influence. I, 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 man, I, he cusses quite a bit in his stuff, but I still love Gary Vee for his stuff and, and so forth. Uh, I, I loved my Gary, my, my regular, I love his videos. I love the style. I, uh, I'd love to be able to emulate that. I know he's got a whole team. Uh, I did like the Grant Cardone stuff, but there's, he's, he's, I saw him live in person, and I think uh, I kind of got turned off. Basically said, hey, leverage everything. You know, Max out your credit cards, do everything. You got to go all in. You can always file bankruptcy if you need to, and I just don't. I mean, I lived the crash. Sorry, Grant. You're, you're massively successful. You do your deal, but can't, <laughs> come on. There, there's got to be something more than that. Um, <laughs> So, you know, in, in tried and true, you know, I think I started in sixth grade with my dad. I uh, listened to the Personal Power Series with Anthony Robbins. So there's always a regular steady uh, part of the, of the Anthony Robbins stuff that comes into it, mm -hmm. uh, which, which if you've never been to one of his live seminars, I think I was uh, really broken in like a virgin um, at the first one when he, I didn't realize how many times in a live event that he says the F-bomb. It's crazy. So, <laughs> so if you've never been to an Anthony Robbins event uh, and you're kind of a prude, or even if you're not, I'm not a prude, I promise. And for uh, those who are listening that aren't picking up, this is Tony Robbins, you know, yes. commonly known as Tony Robbins. Yeah. Yes. Commonly known as Tony Robbins. Uh, yep. So I'm always looking and asking and asking people, what are you reading and why? And then trying to figure out how does this apply? Yep. Uh, another huge book for me that I read uh, not too long ago was, uh, uh, Outliers, no, okay. Outliers, which was, 
Yes. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, question number two, who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? Well, all of the people previously mentioned, and I think it's funny because people say, Hey, well, I got this mentor. Well, I kind of look at some of these people that I continue to read and follow and stalk for lack of better terms. Uh, as as mentors as well. They can be my personal mentors. Uh, one of the guys that's here local that's been doing a lot of training, uh, and I think he stood out to me the most because, you know, within the real estate space, you have a lot of coaches and people that uh, appear to be gurus on certain things. And uh, this guy's name is David Halpern. Um, so <coughs> phenomenal. Uh, his resume is, is, is pretty incredible. Um, and he's been coming out not only coaching about sales or about real estate, but he's been coaching people how to run their business and to mm -hmm. take, take things back. Cause I think we get into our role, our positions or our industries and we kind of just kind of do our thing. Whereas he's kind of making you take personal responsibility and run your business like a business. Yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of been a, been a really, really big deal for me uh, in the last one to two years. And the final, uh, what inspires you? Seeing that you make a difference in someone's life, to be honest. And I think that largely comes through faith, uh, you know, being able to lean things back into what it's all about in the first place. Um, I think it, when I learned through the crash the most was um, when I fell to my knees in front of my wife and just said, uh, babe, I failed you as a husband and as a father to our kids. And and she, she lifted my chin up from her, her lap and said, um, we have each other, we have our faith in God, and we have our kids, and everything else can be replaced. Yeah. Um, this was like October of 2008, and um, it stands out because my life was changed at that point um, mm. because the next days and weeks and months, I was able to go out and sell from a position of strength and not out of desperation. And um, in December of 2008, I had my best opening month I'd ever had in my career, which was still at the bottom of the crash. Wow. Um, I mean, so, for a lot of people, that was the bottom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were selling everything that wasn't bolted down to pay the bills and credit card debt was getting run up and savings was pretty much gone if it wasn't already at that point. Yeah. Um, it was really a tough time. My second child was, had been born a couple months before the market totally tanked. Um, my wife wasn't working. Uh, and I, I looked at her and said, I need you to go back to work. I, I, I don't know when this bleeding is going to stop. And, and, and that was that was the whole conversation, and um, you know the nonprofit sector that uh, of a nonprofit I run, we never folded up shop throughout that as well. And I found that the things of faith and the things of volunteer were the most uh, rewarding items, uh, even at the worst of times. And so it really made us lean and realize that we're not necessarily in control. And if we can put first things first, if we can. Um, you know, kind of release that control and, and, and do things in an honoring way of him. Mm. Um, it's amazing the impact. It's not about what we have. It's about the impact we make on those around us that, uh, that truly define who we are. Um, so uh, though that, that's gotta be the, the, the deal for me. So awesome. Ryan, thanks so much. Um, uh, you know, I, I, lo I love those, uh, the last few there and the way you took those. And uh, I also just appreciate you taking time to share what is title. I know it's the most riveting conversation uh, you must get at every cocktail party. Tell me right. more. People but, ask uh, me what I do and I say I sell air. How does it taste? <laughs> <laughs> you, know? But, you know, before we close out, um, I want to give you the opportunity. How can people connect directly with you and learn more about uh, what you're doing? Uh, easiest way is either on Facebook under facebook.com forward slash team title guy um, or just on our web browser, which has links to everything, which is teamtitleguy.com. Uh, so it'll have links to the podcast, it'll have links to the, the YouTube channels, the, it has, has everything on there. So teamtitleguy.com is probably the easiest to be able to route out to, to all the sources. Very cool. Well, eventually, one of these days, you know, we've known each other for a little while now. We got to meet in person, yeah. shake hands, grab a drink. Right. So, and, uh, you know, um, but, uh, you know, keep in touch and I appreciate you taking inside the time to do the show with me here. Um, so until the next time, um, thanks so much, you guys, if you're listening, uh, go check out Ryan, see what he's doing, especially if you're in California and you need a good title guy. Uh, he's got the team for you. <laughs> I can spun that around there. Thank you. Thank you.
So, uh, all right. I appreciate we'll, it. We'll see you next time. Go Irish. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.